Hello, I'm Dr Laura Williams and you're listening to Know Your Own Psychology. After many years building a successful career as a psychologist, I finally realised that it didn't reflect the autonomy and freedom I wanted in both my life and work. As I made plans to begin working for myself, my husband died suddenly and my whole world fell apart. But with a young family to look after and big dreams I did not want to give up on, I took some time and in the middle of the global pandemic, I left my old life behind. Today, I'm a private psychologist, digital course creator, mum to five and best-selling author. My mission is to simplify psychological ideas so that you can know your own psychology, influence all the areas of your life and achieve more meaning, freedom and purpose. Are you ready to be empowered? This is Know Your Own Psychology, the podcast. Today on the podcast, I am talking to Dr. Sarah Madigan. Sarah and I first met as clinical psychology trainees way back in 2009. We've remained friends and supported each other through incredibly difficult life experiences. Sarah is now a transformational leader intent on joy domination. She's also a clinical psychologist, author, mama and music lover. She has a fire burning deep in her soul to spread love and joy in memory of her first son Finlay who died from SMA type 1 in 2015. Sarah wants her clients to reclaim all the lost joy and teaches tools and methods on how to do so. Her unique mix of evidence-based and magical woo-woo captivates hearts left, right and centre. She trains coaches to create magic and miracles and runs courses on relationship magic. She teaches her clients how to be limitless in success, abundance, love and joy. She also runs retreats and live events. Sarah has built a multi-six-figure company in only two years, whilst also having the most fun ever transforming people's lives. I can't wait to share this conversation with you today. Wow! (laughs) Just reading how much you've achieved in such a short space of time, Sarah, it's incredibly inspiring and I can't wait to hear more about it. Um, Sarah and I, just for people listening, Sarah and I had met back in 2009. We were clinical psychology colleagues to begin with. We became friends and we also have the shared experience, of course, of losing a loved one in challenging and difficult circumstances. But today, Sarah and I will be talking about backing ourselves. We're talking Mm -hmm. about post-traumatic growth and female leadership. So, welcome. Oh my God, I actually feel tearful or just like connecting with you and reflecting on when we used to be colleagues in the NHS and just how everything we've both been through. And actually, you know, Finney and Matty Diane has really brought us closer together because... We have, we've deepened in our relationship so much since since yeah. that time. And so I feel really, really grateful right now to be here with you. I love you. And yeah, it just makes me so emotional thinking back to we were just like little kids together when we were clinical psychologists and it feels like we've kind of like grown up so much um, in a way. 
Yeah, we have. We were talking yeah. of off recording just about how we connected before. And it was about, you know, thinking about having children and, and you've now experienced the loss of a child. Yeah. But what we're going to talk about today is some of the positivity that's come from these difficult experiences. Yeah. Firstly, how are you? And tell me, how is life for you now? Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, life is amazing, Laura. It's just a bit ridiculous, really. Um yeah, I'm just not long back from a retreat in Turkey with one of my mentors, um, Susie Ashworth, and it was it was just magical dancing on boats and yeah, just connecting and really mirroring, you know, just having being in a small group. I love retreats, being in a small group and having people mirror back to you your power and your love kind of thing. Um, but yeah, life is great. We've just had a big break, actually. Oh my God, like the business is going so well, but I've literally just had like four weeks off altogether and then two weeks kind of doing a little bit of work here and there. Um, a little bit of work is probably quite a lot of work here and there, but I love my work. So it's actually, it's really easy. It doesn't feel like work. Um, but yeah, this week is just the start of like three of my courses. So we've got 50 clients, Laura, in that space and you've been in that space. It's so special and like, just all these new people it feels really so it feels really exciting on week one of um relationship magic and the other courses so yeah the energy is is great at the moment over here life is great neil is really well our relationship is amazing yeah isaac's just about to start school yeah so we've got a little um five-year-old just turned five called isaac finley's brother yeah and he's just about to start school but yeah Amazing. So life is life, amazing. Life is great. And Neil is your husband who you've um, brought into the business and he's your That's right. Partner. Yeah. Neil used to be a wildlife friendly gardener um, and he's now business manager for the business. So he was able to kind of leave his job and yeah. come on over. Yeah. I love that. And you really embrace like allowing the business to, you know, change your life. Essentially, you know, you're living yeah. a very different life to what you were before. Um, and I mentioned in the bio, Sarah, that you are a published author. Yeah. And one of the things that really struck me about your book, I Cannot Get This Wrong, was how frank and open you were about your life and your experiences. You talked about anxiety and how your struggle with that while also treating people who had it. You spoke about the loss of Finlay and other challenging life experiences. And I just wonder, like, how vulnerable did it feel for you to write the book and then just put it out there into the world? Yeah, it's interesting actually reflecting on it because it, I put it out about a year ago now and it did feel really, I literally remember lying in the bath one night and my body was really contracted, like I was really in fear about it, Laura. Um, yeah, I talk, talked really openly about a whole load of things, including having an abortion, which I had previously barely told anyone about, right? Um, I spoke about, yeah, my debilitating anxiety, which I, I had hid so much within the NHS. Didn't feel like I could be open with anyone about it, you know, um, felt like a kind of dirty secret. So, but you know, the, there's, there's a vulnerability, but then there's also the focus on how important it is. So way, way bigger than the vulnerability for me, Laura, was a sense that there are loads of clinical psychologists out there who feel anxious who feel all of these emotions that they feel like they've got to hide not just clinical psychologists people everywhere and you know who feel ashamed of anxiety's weakness or feel like they just can't be their true selves and my desire to be honest 
and um, in effect, you know, give other people permission to be honest was just way more, um, it was just way more powerful than any of the fear, right? And, you know, my desire to help people who had lost somebody close to them or maybe somebody who had a child who was terminally ill to have like, you know, when Finley was poorly, I just desperately wanted to know that I might be remotely all right after it, let alone joyful, right? So for me, it's like, guys, there is possibility of joy after like really traumatic loss. And so my desires behind the book, and it just felt like meant to be, it was just something that like, it just flew out of me. Like at the moment I'm thinking, do I write another book? But it's not, I'm not there yet. It just wasn't really a decision. It just kind of channeled out of me, right? So I just trust when things are like that. I trust when it, I feel inspired. I trust when it feels easy. So my trust was a lot bigger than the fear, but yeah, it did feel really vulnerable. It did feel super, super vulnerable. Yeah. And that's amazing. Just leaning into that trust and saying, look, it's, it's more important to me that I get this message out there. But I'm interested in you talking about clinical psychology, you know, and people sitting within that profession and not being able to share of themselves and feeling like they have to sort of hide that. And I'm sure there's many people who are living lives in which they feel like that. And so that, you know, that's why this stuff is so important. Right. And that kind of leads on to my next question, which was you actually self-publish your book. And I wanted to ask how much of your success is down to that decision time and time again to back yourself Mm. rather than waiting for the traditional publishing deal or for someone else's permission or for someone else to tell you that it's okay to do life this way. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting because actually you're right. Choosing to self-publish the book is a bit like choosing to create my own business and do things my way to combine like the woo-woo with the evidence base that we, you know, learn as clinical psychologists, Laura. And, you know, like the book, I swear, I'm told, you know, I do things that had I got like a traditional publisher, probably wouldn't have been able to do, probably would have had to change, really like mute me down. (laughs) And it's the same in my life, right? Me trusting none of my way is the best way. If I am like feeling so alive and inspired about something, that is the thing that I honor more than anyone else's opinion. So, and this is what I teach on the courses, as you know, it's like your inner guidance system is more important than anything else. Your inner guidance system is more important than your parents' opinion. It's more important than the culture that you live in. It's more important than a big, you know, organization like NHS clinical psychology or any kind of, you know, corporate organization. It's like, your wisdom is the thing that you should be listening to. And I was not empowered when I was in those systems. I was nowhere near that. I didn't listen. I just denied my inner guidance system time and time again and felt shame about my emotions and avoided my emotions, right? But now it's like, no, no, no. They are gold. They're the gold. My body is the only... My body is so wise and my body has to be my guide, not other people. So it's about releasing all that conditioning that we've picked up through life and really getting down to like... Who are you? But who are you? Who were? Who are you without all of the conditioning? Yeah. Like, what makes you? What is your spirit? Like, what makes you come alive? And I ask your listeners, you know, think about it. What makes you light up? What makes you feel alive? And when, when you know, it's as simple as this. When you're in it, when you feel good, your inner guidance system is telling you, yeah, this is this is right. When you don't, when you feel bad, your inner guidance system is saying, do something different. And it sounds so simple, right? 
But honestly, it can be that simple. Listening to your emotions and then taking action accordingly, right? But yeah, it, I love how you frame that question, Laura, because I'd never even really thought of it like that. And it's, it's brilliant that it is, yeah, backing myself and not giving my power away, you know, and also my editor, um, advised, you know, she said, if you, one of the reasons to get somebody else to publish you is that they're going to potentially market you, but you're brilliant at marketing yourself, marketing yourself, you know? So I was, I was confident that I had it in me to market the book, which I have done and I've got exciting plans to keep doing so as well, you know? So, yeah. Amazing. Amazing. A couple of things that just come up for me as you're talking about that, this idea that, you know, other people and the conditioning like sanitize and mute us and yeah. we are intrinsically as people. And so you've essentially said, I'm not going to do that anymore. Yeah. Um, and you're giving yourself permission, which, which is just yeah. amazing. Yeah. Um, if anyone wants to read Sarah's book I would recommend it it's available on Amazon now and I'll link to it in the show notes um, so if you are interested to hear more about Sarah's story you can do that through the book um, okay and moving on to the next question so you are such an enthusiastic and joyful person just naturally and I remember being very drawn to your energy um, all those years ago and I think part of that was like to me what you represented was because clinical psychology is very conformist and I think you represented to me like non-conformity and even then right? even back then when I was totally conforming by my standards <laughs> I remember having conversations within sort of trainee psychology groups and you saying yeah but it's it's really hard sitting in this you know sadness all the time and you know talking about sort of um vicarious traumatization and, and all those kind of things and I just remember thinking you are my person like I love this work so much but just it just spoke to me so much that, mm. that I knew of it now now you use that energy to attract your clients into the joy movement and that was sparked by the loss of little Finley so I'd be interested to hear, like, how has he influenced what you do now? Oh, yeah, it's interesting reflecting and hearing you, you know, that joy's always been there. Um, 100%, that's my, like, natural spirit. But he 100% almost like the flame, the little candle flame became a massive fire, right? So, the you know, how it's influenced me and the joy movement is that, you know... <laughs> Now I have this like fire burning so strongly inside to honor his life. You know, he's not here for me to love and to care for every day and to, you know, snuggle and nurture physically. But I can nurture this fire of like joy and of guiding other people towards what is important. You know, there's nothing like losing somebody, as you know, Laura, there's nothing like losing somebody so close to you to get you focused on what is important in life and what is not important in life, right? And being told that your child is terminally ill, you know, um, the small moments became so precious. Like we had to make the most of every single moment because we had no idea how long we'd get. We knew it wasn't going to be very long. You know, he was diagnosed when he was three months old and he died when he was eight months old. So we had to be super, super present to the beauty. And we were. And what a gift, like what an absolute exercise in being completely present with every single cell of your body, which is where all the magic lies in life in the present moment, right? So he he really inspired me to teach other people about being in the present moment, being present to the joy that is right in front of you. You know, one of the things we talk about is like helping people reclaim the lost joy because there's so much joy in front of all of us in all in 
in the moment, you know, in the very moment. And we often are either sad thinking about the past or we're anxious thinking about the future rather than just sinking into what is totally precious. So he's, you know, and also one of the really important things to mention is that, you know, I dreaded him dying, obviously. And when he died, his death was very peaceful. And that few weeks after he died was just full of so much flipping mystery and magic. And I've been really thinking about this in Turkey, actually, that I think when you lose a child, it's like what the life like you knew it before is disappeared. It's gone. Yeah myself as I knew it before is gone and and you are so present because you can't think that far ahead because you don't even know how you're going to get through the next five minutes right so you're so present and I wonder if that really is what makes you so open to the magic and mystery which is actually always there it's just we're not always attuned to it but for two weeks after Finn died it was honestly like I was completely connected to this vibration of magic and mystery and love and all of the signs in nature. Like I've got my butterfly tattoos because butterflies just kept appearing, feathers kept appearing. You hear it all the time. You know, it's not just me. At, at crazy times, you know, butterfly landed on my husband's shoulder when we were just at the hospice and just after he died and stayed there for 20 minutes whilst we were telling the community nurse about how we felt like the butterflies signified Finley's spirit. It's like so much magic. So he not only inspired me to like encourage people to be present with joy, he also connected me to like, wow, there is something magical going on in this experience on earth and it's real and it's and like synchronicities for me, Laura. I mean, you and I've had so many crazy synchronicities happen, like, oh my God. But like, for me, it really connected me to the magic and the mystery. And that really connects my clients. My clients really connect with that side of me. And, you know, it's beautiful. Um, you know, Albert Einstein says that thing about, um, you know, there's two ways to um, live your life. One is as though nothing is a miracle and the other is as though everything is a miracle. So your miracle can be a shift in your mindset about how you feel. You know, one of my mentors has been talking to me about that. The miracle might not be getting the thing you want, but might be shifting your mindset about the thing you want. You know, miracles are everywhere. And, you know, yeah. So, yeah, it just taught me about love, about the only thing that is really important. Taught me so, so, so deeply about love and how precious life is. So, yeah. Amazing, amazing. And yeah, just, you know, you never expect these things to come down the line in your life. And, you know, both of our experiences of loss were unexpected. And, you know, um, you know, yeah. you, you don't think you're going to have a child and lose them a few yeah. months later. You don't think your husband at 38 is going to die. Yeah. And I think that's what's brought our connection closer as a sense yeah. of like, oh my God. And I, and I shared that Utter, I mean, for me, it was utter gratitude for the life that I had around about me, my friends, my family, the people yeah. who drew in close to me and supported me during that yeah. time. And I think you know, yeah. there's an idea of like traumatic life events are going to break people. And I think what we've experienced is, yeah, absolutely, they are incredibly devastating and difficult to go through. But actually, some good can come out of them and lots of good. And that was my next question, actually. We, you know, we talked about post-traumatic growth and, you know, it's this idea that following traumatic or highly challenging life circumstances can come positive psychological change and that going through a trauma like the loss of Finley 
though devastating can actually be just completely transformational mm-hmm. what would you say about that yeah I mean honestly Laura kind of already touched on it in my previous answer but yeah like my life is it's so hard to believe this like because it's the opposite of what I anticipated I thought my life would be over after he died I genuinely it makes me emotional I genuinely didn't I couldn't imagine how my heart would carry on beating when he stopped I knew that that was the thing that always came to me I was like when his little body stops working how will my body carry on working I don't think my body will be able to right so that was like but life now is so much more beautiful than it ever was before you know and he hasn't gone anywhere he's here spiritually he's not here in a physical form but he 100% is here physically you know, we talk about him all the time. His brother knows all about him. His brother talks about him and asks all of the questions. Nothing is off. You know, he, he asks all kinds of questions and we answer it. We talk about it. And yeah, it's just like, yeah, it's completely, my life is more beautiful now. It's more beautiful and joyful than it ever could have, I ever could have imagined. And it's the complete opposite of what I anticipated. I thought life would be literally unbearable forever. I didn't really want to be here anymore. When he was terminally ill, I thought, I mean, Neil and I write in the book, Laura, I mean, it makes me laugh nervously, but we literally used to joke about, we were like, should we just freaking top us? We were like, we can't deal with this, but we would be laughing. We would be like, what about all our loved ones? We were like, we'll have a big party and invite them and just get the whole place bombed. Right, but then we were like, but what about their loved ones? We're like, we'll get them along as well, right? Hope this is okay content for your podcast, <laughs> talking about mass murder. But, you know, but we just didn't think we would survive it, Laura. As you know, you'll have had moments like that. And it's like, but not only have we survived it, but life is so beautiful. And we did promise him, like, literally, whilst he was dying, we I did say to him, Finley, I prom- don't worry about us. It's okay to let go. Like, I promise we will make life really beautiful in your honour. And we freaking have grieved as well. We've not blocked, I'm not like good vibes only. We've like been devastated. The grief has moved through us, you know, like really physical, ugh. But at the same time, or and at the same time, life is just so beautiful. And silly things like this, this sounds so ridiculous. But I, you know, like we tell ourselves stories like, oh, I can't wear red, lip- red lipstick, or I don't like my legs without tights on, or all, I mean, after Finny died, I was like, I'm just freaking going to do anything I want whenever, whenever I freaking want. And I just like allow myself so much more fully. And I tried red, I was like, I actually look great in red lipstick. What am I talking about? <laughs> my legs are great. What am I, what was I ever worried about? So he's kind of like just giving me freedom to just, you know, really just be myself and love, meet myself where I am and mm. all of this kind of stuff, you know. But yeah, oh my God, Laura. And you as well, like you are such freaking inspiring example of yeah post-traumatic growth you know and I'm like really proud of us we actually we should share this photograph when we share the podcast there's a photograph of Laura and I we were swimming in the sea together in Burnt Island and we had a hug and there was a professional photographer snapped it we didn't know that he was snapping it but it was that felt really significant to me it's almost like without us saying any words out loud we were like in the sea connected to the wider universe and we were just like fucking yeah like we're just, there's a sense between us that we're both really proud of ourselves for not only surviving, 
the yeah. death of our loved ones, but thriving. And we're like just backing each other so much. And I just love our relationship, Laura. And I find you, you so inspiring for doing what you've done. So yeah, I want to celebrate you. Thank you. And right back at you. And I think, you know, just you speaking about, you know, just how devastating it was and the things that you and Neil spoke about. And, you know, I, I remember being there, but I yeah. also remember knowing that I needed to show up for my children. And yeah, right. I want to ask you, why is it so important to you that more women take on leadership roles? Why is it important to me that women take on leadership roles? Like, because why should gender ever even be a factor in whether or not you're a leader or not? Right. So like, why on earth would anyone ever have any concept that they can't be a leader because they haven't got a penis? Yeah. Right. I mean, like, let's just call the spade a spade, Laura. Right. You know, and I'm passionate because, you know, also think of like the witch trials, like witches. And so we hear about witches and the witch trial. I remember like learning about that, but it just felt so long ago and like it wasn't really real. But now I'm like, oh, my God. I would be considered a witch. I would have been murdered just because I'm a powerful woman and because I'm spiritual. Yeah. I would have been murdered as a woman, like not that long ago, you know, women's football. I mean, talk about this is topical because the flippant lionesses, let's just celebrate the lionesses, right? <laughs> women's football was banned for 50 years. Yeah. Like what the actual, you know, and honestly, also, Laura, like I remember when I was applying to get on the doctorate in clinical psychology, I've written about this in the book. The book is called I Cannot Get This Wrong, by the way, if anyone is interested. But I, I um, was sp speaking to a male psychologist. I wanted to speak to a male psychologist about advice for like how to prepare for the doctorate. Yeah. Um, do you know the main thing he said to me? Story, yeah, you read this in the book. Okay, so he said to me... Um, just don't wear red lipstick, which is quite interesting. My interesting relationship with red lipstick. Don't wear red lipstick. Like, don't wear like a short skirt. Basically just told me how to like appear. And I was like, I felt like swearing at him. I'll, I won't on your podcast, yeah. but I felt like, you know, are you actually having a laugh? I came here to think about how to structure my knowledge, yeah. not for you to patronize me and tell me how I should or shouldn't present myself in my body, in my body, right? Anyway, I understand that there's still like various like corporate organizations or the NHS where there are rules about what you wear, blah, 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 blah. But I'll tell you what, in my job, <laughs> this is actually quite local. And, <laughs> and I'm wearing red lipstick. I look very presentable. And you know, so what if I didn't? Like it's my body. I wear sexy clothes for my live events. Sometimes I, f I feel sexy. So what? Like why are women not allowed to do what they want with their bodies, right? So it really actually, you know, it made me so emotional watching the lionesses, you know, when the cup, like my niece who lives with us, she's 19 and she's a footballer. So we all watched it together. And it's so great seeing her as a young woman feeling so inspired that yeah, I can do things. Like I can be in my power. I can do amazing things. Like, and it seems so absurd to me that why, why wouldn't young girls feel like that? But the truth is that they still don't, that, you know, the gender pay gap is still an issue. And, you know, young girls still grow up not seeing themselves as represented as males and especially in leadership positions. And it's like, it brings me so much joy and I maybe don't even own it enough that actually, yeah, I, I am inspiring because I show, you know, show girls what is possible like or any gender you know i show any gender 
yeah. or any like you know identification you anything is possible it doesn't matter it doesn't yeah. matter what your sexuality is it doesn't matter what your gender is yeah. you are you you are your spirit like go for it you know so yeah yeah such good questions laura i'm having the yeah, best time. Yeah. <laughs> interesting because I, when I was formulating the questions in my mind I was writing it down thinking why is it why is this still a question about women you know and I had that sort of pause for thought about why are we genderizing leadership still and yeah. we you know it's still a thing and we do have to speak about it but yeah it was just interesting to me how gender is becoming more fluid and, and all of those kind of things but yeah yeah okay so Hugely important. And actually, the story in the book really resonated with me. I didn't get advice from anyone. I just knew within my core. Yeah. Went up to that doctoral interview and you're going to be demure and you're yeah. going to be covered and you're going to have your hair pulled back and you're going to appear like you will conform and you will fit the mold. And I did that for years, years and years and years. I know. Not anymore, baby. Not anymore. Not anymore, baby. <laughs> But, you know, I think there's ways that you can, you know, for for people who are listening, I do think that there are still ways that you can exist in these structures and in these systems with your own set of boundaries and your own set of rules, you know. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, Okay, next question. Um, Stepping into leadership can be a challenge, and I have felt that myself at various points on my own journey, put myself out there. What have you had to overcome personally to become the leader that you are today? I have had to overcome fear of what people think. Yeah. Because when you're really, really visible and when you make money, people are so triggered by money. When you talk openly about money, people are so triggered about, about money. People are so judgmental of anyone who appears like they care about money. I don't, like, I'm just not here for it, Laura, anymore. I'm like, so I've had to release total identification with people's judgments of me because I'm not my thoughts, I'm let alone other people's thoughts, right? So I'm not doing that anymore. And, you know... Yeah, what else have I had to overcome? I had another one in my mind and it's gone. Um, th- yeah, think oh, people pleasing. That was the other one that I was going to say. So yeah, just like that. Um, so building a team, you know, at times and having a group of coaches and, you know, sometimes, so when I first started building it, I definitely was like wanting to please everyone and c- coming up with that energy. And no, 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 no. You can't actually, you've got to like be really aligned with your, a bit like trusting your inner guidance system. You've got to just know your truths, know your boundaries, know your rules, and you've got to stick to them. So you've got to release, like, wanting everyone to love you, which used to be a thing of mine, right? I am my own source of unconditional love and approval. As long as I think that what I'm doing is really, really fair and I'm aligned with it, it's not everyone's going to always be happy with decisions I make or not everyone's going to always, you know, approve of me. And so what? It doesn't matter, right? My, you know, my vision is so much bigger than any of the things that I've had to overcome, you know, there have been times I'm not, of course, like to build a like super successful business. There have been times when I've been like, oh, this is so, you know, this is like so stressful. And actually when it was just me on my own, you know, because the business turns over loads of money, but you've got loads of more outgoings when you grow a business. So you've got a team, you've got all of these kinds of things. And there's definitely been times when I've thought, God, I think I maybe earned more when I was less stress and it was just me on my own. Right. But not, you know, not really, but you know, but it's always about the vision. Yes. So my vision is 100% about spreading joy and love in honour, in memory of Finlay. And that is bigger than anything. Yes. It's bigger than like any of the any of the above, you know? But yeah, I think 
just you have to let go you have to give yourself permission and, and you know and this is a bit of a thing as a woman as well you have to give yourself permission to take up space and this is really really key right you have to trust that you taking up space and shining your light doesn't dim anyone else's light yeah absolutely there is room for all of us and that for me like actually in turkey had a breakthrough right this time i got really connected to how big this mission is that i feel like finley's tasked me with and I got so connected and excited how big it was and how I was going to go bigger, like a lot bigger. Yeah. And then the next day I've had a total vulnerability hangover and felt really shameful. Like, who do I think I am? Yeah. And we went for a little walk in Turkey, like this like mindful walk. And you know, like being in a new town and you don't know what's what, I felt a bit vulnerable. And I felt all of this, like, I'm just like this tiny. And in fact, gender did come into it. I was like, I'm just this like small girl. Who do I think I am? But I'm not like I'm a powerful, powerful woman and I'm allowed to take up space in this world. And I'm entitled, I'm entitled to take as much space as anyone. We're all connected anyway. We're not separate. So how can we take up, you know, we're part of the universe. So how could we ever take up too much space? Right. Susie taught me about that. It's true. Right. Like we can't take up too much space. And if other people are triggered by you taking up too much space, it's a gift to them because it shows them what that they need to give themselves more permission to do that. Right. And you, that was really, that was really, really beautiful for me to be like, me shining my light doesn't diminish anyone else. It actually is, it's perfect for everyone. Yeah. You know, I'm just, if I don't get out of my own way in terms of like money, stories, and I had them, I had like, oh, I can't charge more than like whatever. I used to charge nothing. But if, if I didn't get out of the way with my money stories, with my fear of what people think, with people pleasing, with worrying about other people if I show up and, and take up too much space. If I didn't get those things out of the way, all I see this as, Laura, is that I am doing exactly what I'm here to put on earth to do. Like, I'm just channeling what I'm supposed to, right, from the universe. So if I didn't get all of that stuff out of the way, I wouldn't be doing what I was here to do. So that is it's as simple as that to me. You've just got, for me, it's so important for my channel to be as clear as possible. And then I can receive inspiration. And if my channel, if I'm not exercising, if I'm not eating healthily, if I'm not doing those things, I've actually pretty much given up alcohol, pretty much given up, well, I have given up coffee, which is, I'm still a bit torn about that decision. <laughs> but I'm still a bit in grief about that. But like, I take it really seriously, the idea of keeping my channel so clear that I can just receive inspiration from the universe, right? Yeah. And so if, I, if I'd have held on to all of those things, yeah. I, wouldn't be, I wouldn't be able to do it. Yeah, just, I mean, there's so much within that, isn't there? About getting in your own way and not allowing what other people think to sort of influence you and keep you small. Um, and one of the things you said, I was talking on another podcast this morning to my business mentor, Tina Tower, about collaboration over competition. Yes. For women, I think that is such a massive, massive thing in terms of your own power and your own visibility. It can trigger other women to to really not sit in that space of collaboration and, mm. and be quite judgmental. And as a woman, I find that really difficult and have found that really difficult. And so, you know, part of my mindset and in getting into leadership now is finding spaces where I will be held up and supported and collaborated with, not competed with. Yeah, 100%. Yeah, and I think your spaces do that, Tina's spaces do that, and it's important for anyone who's wanting to do more of the leadership stuff. 100%. 100%. That's one of the beautiful things that I found actually going on these retreats with other business women, and I'm excited because I've got Limitless, which is for people growing business, and we've got our first in-person meeting, but I'm excited because having been on a couple with like Susie Ashworth, the the in-person Yep. business meeting it's like 
you're really surrounded by other people who are going for it, other powerful women, and everyone's in total celebration of each other. Everybody's rooting for everyone. Even if your businesses are a bit similar, there's no sense because everyone's in the power. Yeah. yeah. So when, when you're not in your power and someone is in the power, it's triggering. But yeah. when you're in your power, but even then, like, and I would invite people, if you experience that, and we've all been there before. I've been triggered by people in their power, guys. I'm sure Laura has. It's not like we're saying, oh, we never are. Like, you know, we, you know, but I would invite you, if you are triggered by someone in the power, really think about where could I, where could I view this person as inspiring rather than triggering? Like where could what they've done inspire my journey? Like if, if I'm triggered, there's something going on and I like my inner guidance system is saying, I want more of this mm-hmm. or what part of yourself are you not allowing? You know, some, lots of people learn that it's, you should be subservient as a woman, right? These, they're still really like, it's not that long ago, like our grandparents, like it's not that long ago, you know? And I think, you know, it's shameful to like take up space or to be loud as a woman. And so these are like generational things that we need to release. And so, yeah, I imagine if we could, as women, just totally celebrate each other and lift each other up. I mean, I, I do experience that a lot in my containers, but you know, more, even more so, right? And I, that's how I find our relationship, Laura. Like, I feel like you and I, we just want each other to succeed so much. You know, we do, do our approaches are quite different. And I think we probably attract fairly different people but we just want each other to succeed you know and it's i got a universal trust that the right clients come to the right people like it's like a soul you have soul contracts with some people and not with others and we don't need to compete there's enough to go around right yeah no i agree with you 100 <laughs> and i think that's hugely important in leadership right i've got two more questions and i know that you need to be sort of off fairly soon no problem what is the one piece of advice that you would give to someone who's struggling to access that feeling of joy right now? What could they do really quickly that would sort of release that? Move your body. Yep. <laughs> Look, for those who are listening on an audio, I'm having a little dance. <laughs> Just move your body and literally think like dancing is honestly the fastest way to shift your energy. If you are really not feeling joyful, put a f- one of your favourite songs on and dance around even better find like a movement class, whatever it is. Or for me, I love dance, right? And so finding a dance community, I do something called NIA, N-I-A, and it's beautiful. But like finding a community for me was really important of other people focusing on joy. And, you know, you know, find wherever your community is, find a community because it's so important to have other people to celebrate you, to celebrate your wins, you know, but move your body I really feel like movement might be for you. It might be like any form of exercise. You might like to run. You might like to cycle. You might like to just walk in nature. Nature connection for me is a total game changer. And these are things that you can do really, really quickly. Uh, Another quick one is focus. Think about what you're focusing on. Are you focusing on what you want? Are you focusing on what you don't want? When you're not feeling joyful, you're probably generally focused on what you don't want, even without knowing it, or the absence of what you want. So we've got to be careful about that one, right? The, uh, you, you might want something, but be focusing on them. I haven't got it, right? Focus on what you want, okay? And um, yeah, dance, music, um, community, do what you love. Think about what you love. Like if you haven't felt really joyful for a while, maybe you're in the wrong job, maybe you're in the wrong relationship. Like. Think about like, what are you actually doing things that you love? What sets your soul on fire? Like, what did you love doing as a kid, right? And yeah, prioritize that. It's not frivolous to prioritize the things that bring us joy. It is flipping imperative, right? 
Yeah, no, definitely. And I think it's interesting because we, we do have, you know, different approaches to what we're doing. But I think what we do have in common is a holistic nature to yeah. what we're telling people about and all of those things. can. Yes. Um, okay, last question that I have for you. Um, so what do you now know about your own psychology that you didn't know in the past? I know that I, that my body is my guide. And my emotions are like gold. My emotions are signals to me of what my inner guidance system wants me to do or not to do. Yeah. I don't need to resist them. Like I like I used to have debilitating anxiety. I don't need to make anxiety wrong. I need to honor it and think, what is it guiding me to do or not do? Yeah, amazing. Love that. Love that. <laughs> Sarah, oh, I love you. you for being here today on the honoured podcast. It has been so much fun. I knew it would be. Um, so thank you for being here. Okay. Thank you so much, Laura. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Know Your Own Psychology. If you loved it, please share it on Facebook or Instagram for your friends and family. And if you really want to help me out, drop a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions, you can email me hello at drlaurawilliams.com. And if you would like to know your own psychology better, influence all the areas of your life and achieve more meaning, freedom and purpose, come and join my growing community over on Facebook. Search Know Your Own Psychology and make a request.